0: 18 of Genesis. We're actually in chapter 20, and uh, it's a, chapter 20 is a repeat of uh, sin that that Abraham committed back in chapter 12, and we'll take some time to look at that. But there's some other things that I really want to talk to you about, share with you tonight. Uh, this uh, the study's called "Learning from Abraham's Sin," chapter 20. But I want to show you some other things. That'll lead us to this place. Because last week we looked at chapter 19, which was about the destruction of Sodom. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of concern. Uh, There's so much going on in our society when it comes to this area of sin that I I really believe I need to share some things with you. But if you look at chapter 18, um, verse 20, you see the problem with Sodom. These people had crossed the line. They had gone uh, beyond God's um, uh, calling, his limitations. But look at verse 20 of chapter 18. The Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And their sin is very grave. So as a result of that, God destroyed those two cities. He judged those two cities and destroyed them. Look at chapter 19. We saw this last week, verse 24, chapter 19, verse 24. We're all familiar with this. The Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So this is a judgment that comes from the Lord. So, verse 25, he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities. If there's any question, how many people lived through this? Nobody lived through this. And what grew on the ground? So not only did the people die in the cities, the cities were burnt, but the, the uh, vegetation on the ground, that's how fierce the fire and brimstone was. Now, when you read that, you, you have a tendency to read that, and you go, wow, those people were bad. I'm glad I'm not one of those kind of people. I, I'm not as wicked as those people, and and God had to do all those things. These people are immoral, and they're they're worthless, and and their sin is so much greater than anything that I've ever done. Have you ever thought that before? We need to talk. (laughs) Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, I pray this evening that you would speak to us by your word. And, Lord, it's your word that's truth, not our feelings not what we feel about the word or feel about society. It's your word that brings truth. And Lord, that we would be people that uphold your word, that obey your word and see it as absolute truth in a world of no absolutes and relativism. I'm so grateful we have your word for in it, Lord, there's so much liberty. There's so much freedom in Christ. And in your word, and I pray tonight, Lord, as we read these passages that lead us to our study in Genesis 20, that you would just speak to us by your Holy Spirit. So we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, that sin's the worst, isn't it? It's absolutely the worst. But did you know, did you know all sin is forgivable? All sin is forgivable, Except one. There is one. No, I, nobody, nobody raised their hand. I didn't ask you. Do you know there is one unforgivable sin, right? Okay. That's what our topic is going to be as I lead us into our Bible study. Notice what Jesus said here. This is the text that I want you to consider right now. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. Okay. That's, those are Jesus' words. And whatever blasphemy or, or and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never, look at that word there, never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. So according to Jesus, the unpardonable or unforgivable sin is very, very specific. It's very unique. And I want you to listen to what I say because I think this will help you and give you a perspective on the world that you're living in right now, on it, with people that you're around, some that you just can't stand. And I think, you know, rightly so. We we um, because of the the getting shoved down our throats because of the media, because of the all of the things that that are promoted in our society that are immoral. I mean, don't you feel like you get just pushed? You're pushed around as a person and you're pushed into these places where you have to make a decision. And I think sometimes we recoil at that, and instead of being Christ-like, we just revert to our flesh, and we we judge, and we, we throw stones, and we, we make um, referee calls, you know, and, and we write off those people that need Christ. We write them off. We see them as a nuisance. We see them as worthless. And God help us as, as Christians. And that's really, I want to help you understand here about this, sin, this unpardonable or unforgivable unique sin that Jesus talks about here in Mark 3. This, it's the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that will never be forgiven. That's what Jesus says in that text. Now, you have to remember the context. Context. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were... The religious leaders and the rulers, they knew the law. They read, they they lived in the scribes and Pharisees, lived in the law of God. They really did love God. They truly did. And their love for God was external because they did everything to change the outward. They wanted to look right. They wanted to behave right. They wanted to do the right things. They really had a proper motive in terms of their love for God. But here's what happened. They, they perverted the law of God. They added to the law of God. They changed God's law for their own sake. And then they began to be proud and, uh, based on their belief and their way. Uh, Jews are very, very interesting people even today. Love them, love the nation. Been there. Well, you watch them, and they're very interesting. They they have different groups. They wear different clothes that separate them from the other people. It's very, very, very segregated uh, in Israel. In that term, they're they're Jewish, but they have their different garb the way they dress. Some, are, some wear all black clothes. Some wear all white clothes. Some have big hats. Some have small hats. And they separate themselves in all these different segregated groups. And they don't like each other. You, you don't live like me. And you're not like I am. And It's really, really interesting in how they view those things. But in Jesus' day, these Pharisees that are remarked by Jesus here in Mark chapter 3 and also Matthew 12 and Mark Uh, later on in Mark 3, verse 30. In those three passages, Jesus, he talks about them and this unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's the deal. These Pharisees that lived during Jesus' day, they saw Jesus raise people from the dead. They saw and knew the man that, for 40 years, was on the temple gate. They knew him. And For 40 years, he couldn't move, but now he's laughing and leaping and praising God in the temple. They saw that. They knew that Messiah was gonna come and do miracles that would, they were miracles. Miracles are things that can't be explained by natural occurrences. They can only be done by God. They had saw the miracles that the Holy Spirit did through Jesus Christ. And yet they claimed that Jesus was possessed by Beelzebub. They attributed the miracle to Satan. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit did the work. He did the work in front of them through Jesus Christ. The healings, the miracle work. But they rejected that and they knew it. They knew he was Messiah. But he took their power away. And so it was their rejection that's referred to as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. They heard, they saw Jesus, they heard his words, they heard his prophecies, they knew that he was the Messiah, but they rejected him. They deliberately chose to deny the truth and they slandered the Holy Spirit. So that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that we see in the Gospels recorded here is for a specific time when Jesus lived on this planet with these Pharisees that saw those real miracles and said, you're of the devil. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit defined in the scripture. You've probably heard different terminology of that. I just I want to clarify that for you. You need to understand that. That is the unpardonable sin Jesus is talking about. Very unique because it was during the time that the Pharisees lived. Now, Jesus Christ... It's not on earth right now. Where is he? Very much alive, but he's in heaven. No one can see Jesus perform a miracle. No one can attribute a miracle that they see to Jesus on this earth because he's not on this earth. Now, now there are miracles that happen, but we don't see Jesus do them and then like the Pharisees attributed to Beelzebub. So you can't do this, but, but what is this unpardonable sin? There is really an unpardonable sin today. And here it is. It's the willful disobedience of a person. When you deliberately say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, the scripture says that really that rejection of Christ, there's no pardon for that. This is where it gets a little bit scary for people that you know that have never come to Christ because there is no pardon for someone that will not relinquish authority, will not acknowledge Christ as Lord. They won't surrender. They won't willfully believe their, their willful unbelief. They choose defiantly and stubbornly to reject Jesus Christ. But here's the, the good news. The Holy Spirit is working in the world right now. And you know what he's doing. Look at this scripture behind me, John sixteen eight. The Holy Spirit, this is His work, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin. People know that they're sinners. They know it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit does that work of conviction. He's working right now. You, before you came to Christ, you knew it, right? You suppressed it. You didn't want to look at it. You avoided it. You drank it so you didn't. Feel it anymore? You took drugs, so you or you did the sexual thing to, to run from it. But you knew you were a sinner because the Holy Spirit does that. He convicts the world of sin, and then righteousness. That there's only one righteous. The Holy Spirit convicts the world that there's only one righteous. That's Jesus Christ, and we can only come to God through His righteousness. How do you get his righteousness? It's imputed upon the believer. It's imputed upon the one that comes by faith to Jesus Christ. And then the third thing the Holy Spirit does, judgment. That there's a day of judgment coming. That's another thing people run from, by the way, right? They run from that. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to go there. They don't want to acknowledge that. But that's what the... So the Holy Spirit's very, very active in the world today, today doing those things. If a person resists the conviction, if a person remains unrepentant, then that person is choosing hell that's how you get to hell because you reject you willfully reject Jesus Christ as your savior you don't believe in him and through rejection of Jesus Christ you choose you really do you choose hell over heaven so how do you know you're saved you know only faith in Jesus brings salvation right we, we know that. And Acts sixteen thirty one, there's many different verses I could have brought up. But here's this one. You know it. So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the sin of Sodom now. And I want you to understand this about the sin of Sodom. It is forgivable. You have to have that in your mind. The sin of Sodom is no different than the sin of lying. Has now, if you've li- ever lied in your lifetime, once, raise your hand. I want to see how many honest people are in this room. Okay, I'm glad that we're all honest here tonight. The sin of Sodom is no different than the sin of lying. The sin of Sodom is no different. You, and, and the reason I'm, I'm trying to help you understand, it is a forgivable sin. It's no different than, than other sins that we commit. Every sinner, the Bible says, will be punished. Doesn't matter if it's a lie, a, a, a thief, or this sin of Sodom. Here's what the Scripture says in Romans 5:12. This is a great one. Therefore, justice through one man sinner into the world, and death through sin. Thus, death spread to how many men? Because all have sinned. That's what the Scripture teaches. That every person is. A sinner, Isaiah 53. I love this. I, I get to teach this. I chose this on Sunday night. I'm t- doing chapter 53. You can tell Devon that, I'm because t- I love this. And Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone what? We've turned each one to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of who? Of us all. Jesus took our iniquity. He took our sin. All sin is forgivable. That's the point. Romans 3:10. Here's another great verse here. There's none righteous, no, not one. Oh, I, I only tell little lies, Pastor Leah. I, I'm not like those people in Sodom. There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. This is, this is uh, the theology of, of human condition. This is our theology You and I are sinners. We're sinners to the core. Without Christ, we're without hope in this world. But we have Jesus, and he died for us. What a a blessing it is to know. But this truth, the Bible teaches that we all deserve judgment. We're all condemned. We all deserve death in light of God's holiness and righteousness. Only God is holy. Only God is right. And in light of his righteousness, we deserve punishment. Now, I'm, I'm all about down with sin. Down with immorality. I I don't like any of that stuff, and I don't want to be a part of any of that stuff. But listen, don't judge other people as worthless because they're doing what you used to do or doing something you think is worse than what you've ever done. Don't do that, church. God help us. When someone walks through this door of our fellowship, and they look different than you, and they're condemned immediately because of the way they look. I, I really want you to understand that. I think you really need to understand that we need to pray for the lost. Why do they look that way? Because they're lost. What are they lost in? I don't know, but they're lost. They need the Lord. And the, my wife and I are always going, wow, they really need the Lord, you know. And, and it's really funny. You'll get somebody that, that I'll, I'll go down to, to another church or I'm in a conference and somebody walks up to me. And they look really different than I do. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And it's, man, praise the Lord, I love Jesus. It's cool, you know. We make assumptions based on the outward appearance. And Sunday morning, I spoke a little bit about this. And so I'm kind of tying these topics together a little bit for you. But I think many Christians forget that you were once sinful. You were once lost. You were once condemned. So before we go to Genesis 20 now, I want to make a second point. And I think Jesus makes this point better than anybody. So turn in your Bible to John chapter 8. Because here we get the Christian's attitude towards sinners. This is the Christian's attitude toward sinners. It's going to help us understand. This is a real story, by the way, not a parable. My next point should be up right now. John 8, verse 1 through 11 is what we're going to read. So in John 8, 1 through 11... But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came into the temple and all the people came to him. Wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd, right? He sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when these scribes and Pharisees, these religious leaders, these Christ rejectors, when they had set, This woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, I don't know how she was dressed. Maybe in a sheet, maybe no clothes. Maybe she was naked. They put her right in the middle of this big group of people right in front of Jesus, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I wonder how they knew that. Moses in the law commands us that such should be what? Stoned. But what do you say? Now, stoning, really quick, stoning is, was a law of God. Stoning was instituted by the Lord. You can find it in Leviticus. You'll see some of it in Exodus. God is the one that started this capital punishment of stoning. Stoning would happen to murderers. Stoning would happen to um, immoral people and this is a this is a heavy one for you parents here tonight. Stoning for a wayward son. If your son was so rebellious in town, the city fathers could say, you know what? He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen to you. He doesn't listen to anybody. They would take your son, son out side the city and they'd stone him. The, stoning was something that that happened. This this rebellious spirit. This God forsaken spirit. This. Adulterer, idolaters were stoned. But here's the problem. Everybody was a sinner. And everybody from the core, especially when you read the scriptures that I read to you tonight, realized that we're sinners and, and we've all sinned and we all should be stoned. And the reason is because there is no righteous, no, not one, right? We just read that in the scripture. So Jesus is going to prove something with this story. And I want you to listen to what he says here in verse 7. They continue to say, what do you you say, Jesus? What do you say? She was caught and there. I can just see this group of Pharisees there. She's naked. She was adultery. She did this. and What do you say? What do you say? And they kept going on and on. And he raised himself up. So he stands up to them. And he says, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. What was their conscience alerting them to? Their sin. The the sinful son of God just spoke his words. And right to their heart. And they now are convicted because of their sin. And went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing in the midst. Now, here's the point of this passage here. If we were in that crowd that day, and we heard those things about that sinner, all of us would have a rock in our hand. We'd all have a rock. That, that was what the people did. They were going to take care of immorality. So they all had a rock. They're going to throw this rock. They're, but when the conviction of the Holy Spirit came, saying through, through Jesus, let he who is without uh, sin cast first. You'd have to drop your rock, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you drop your rock? You'd have to let go of that rock because you're a sinner. You're just as bad as she is. Because we all have fallen into sin. That's what the scripture says. I, you know, when I, when I say these things and when I read these things, I, I really hope that you understand what Jesus is saying in this story. Because it's so easy to pick up a stone. It's so easy to become a referee. It's so easy to say, you know, my sin is not as bad as yours, and, and I don't want to be around you, and I don't want to talk to you, and, and, and get out of here. I mean, that's how people respond around other people that, that they think are worse sinners than they themselves have ever been. Christians, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? It's so important for you and I to understand that we're not to be this referee. There's only one judge. Who is it? Who's the judge? That's right. It's God. And for us to judge other people like that is really, it's the wrong thing. Why? And here's, here's my little point. Notice this point here. We, too, deserve to be stoned. Think about that. Oh, not me, Pastor. I, 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 I've been have. I, I've been good. I only tell little white locks. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean if you were in this situation here, you'd throw the first stone? Is that what you're telling me? No. You, you drop that rock, you, you drop that, because you realize that you deserve to be stoned as, as well. When any of us pick up a rock of judgment too quickly when it comes to another person, instead of letting God be the judge, and we become the critic, and we become the referee, and we cry foul about somebody else, you got to let that stone go, and I hope that tonight you get the idea and you just let that stone go. Christian, get rid of the stones. Drop the rocks in your hands. Don't cast stones at other people. Very important because when we become judgmental about any particular sin, you need to get a mirror out and look at yourself. I need to get a mirror out and look at myself. Therefore, the grace of God go I. I need to have a heart of compassion for people. Romans 6.23, you know the scripture wages of sin is what? We all deserve to be stoned. That's the the bottom. We all pick up rocks. We hold them too tightly. If we're going to win lost people to Jesus Christ, we have to put the stones down. We have to realize that these people are, they just need, they need someone to love them, not to judge them. Oh, but you do this, and, and we're so quick to, to assault someone with words or, or with their sin and make them wear it, you know, on the outside, instead of just saying, oh, God loves you. God will forgive you. The heart of compassion Jesus had whenever you read about his life walking through, he saw people that were demon-possessed. Remember, he just, oh, he had so much compassion on them. That's the heart that we need to have as a church I so hope that we can have that same thing. Look at verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She looks around. She says, No one, Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the freedom she experienced right there? Jesus forgave her. She didn't have to do anything. uh, Walk around the building five times. Learn scripture. Come to church. None of that, right? Jesus just forgave. Listen, that's the way you do evangelism. You tell people about Jesus Christ and tell them he'll forgive them and let them go to Jesus and get forgiveness. You can't train anybody. You can't cajole somebody. You can't manipulate somebody into forgiveness. You you just live the word of God out. You share the truth of God's word and let God do the forgiving. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. The sin of Sodom, as great as it was, is forgivable. So let's not cast stones. Let me read this one scripture, and we'll go to the next. Come now, and let us reason together. Isaiah says, "says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be." <sighs> Aren't you glad you have your sins forgiven, Christians? And and you know what? Let's drop the stones. Let's just drop the stones and and share. Now, Genesis chapter 20. Jump to Genesis chapter 20 because that's where we're going to look at some things here. And you'll remember that Abraham, he's done all this work. He's interceded for Sodom. He's asked God to spare the city for 10, you know, uh, righteous people. And although God promised that he would, now, Abraham is up in the mountains, and he's looking down into the valley, and he's seeing something. He's seeing smoke rising from the valley. He heard the Lord and the angels as they went away. You know, they're going to go, and, and they're going to wipe out. And remember, he interceded, oh, if there's, if there's 50, 45, all the way down to 10. But there wasn't. And so God meets out his judgment with these angels, and now Sarah and Abram are seeing smoke coming up from the valley. And, and again, like I said, this is a rerun of the, of the same account back in chapter 12 where Abraham is gonna make this big mistake. He's gonna scheme with Sarah to say that, that she's my sister, not my wife, and then the king gets in trouble. It's the same kind of thing. It was Pharaoh, now it's King Abimelech here in this story. We're in Gerir, it's in western Israel, and again, this is just another example of a godly, he's a godly man, he's a righteous man, and it is, he's a failure. And this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible tells us the real story about real people, it doesn't candy coat things. The Bible gives us the facts and, and reveals Abraham in his humanity, and I'm glad because I identify with this man. I'm growing and in, in faith, I'm I'm getting better, I hope. You know, I'm sinning less and less in my life as I grow older, but, but I'm still growing. And we're all growing in our faith, just like Abraham. That's how we can identify with him and his failure. He's failing here. Again, he makes another mistake. Uh, he's disobedient. And, and again, I'm glad the Bible in, uh, includes this story. So we come to Genesis 20 this evening. And we're going to learn from Abraham's sin. That's what I call this, learning from Abraham's sin. So this first seven verses, and I'm just going to read, make some application, but that's why I took a little more time at the beginning to talk about that sin. But notice in verse 1, and my point here is sin doesn't have an expiration date. This is really interesting. Abraham journeyed from there to the south. So he sees the fire burning. And he's leaving. The fire must have been hot. He must have felt threatened. He was in fear. So he leaves. He heads to the south, and he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and he stayed in this place called Gerar. Now Abraham said to to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man. Because of the woman you've taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And and he he said, Lord, will will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, didn't I hear Abraham say she's my sister? And she even said it herself. He's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. I I haven't done anything wrong, God. And then God said, verse 6, to him in a dream. Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Wow, that's the sovereignty of God. I I withheld you from doing it. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore this man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours, your whole house, everybody around you, you're all going to die. Wow. Now, again, Abraham, (laughs) how old is Abraham? Anybody remember how old is he in this story? He's 100 years old. He's been walking with the Lord for some 24 or five years at this point in time, and it was 20 some odd years, and he did the same thing where he ran from Canaan because of fear and lack of faith down to get water and, and keep his herds going. And, and he told the same lie, he and Sarah with Pharaoh, same trouble. He's doing the exact same thing over again here. And he should have grown. Shouldn't he have grown in the years that he's lived? I guess the point is is this, you know, we, we can all make mistakes if we don't learn from our past. He's not learning a lot here in, uh, up to this point But God is shaping him. God is working him. God has not given up on him. That's one of the things I love about this story in Abraham. God never gives up on him. I believe that that same love and devotion that God had for Abraham, he has for you. He's never going to give up on you. You're his child. He's going to work with you, and you're going to fail. You're going to struggle. But God loves you, and he's going to keep working with you, and he's going to work all around your life sovereignly like he does here in Abraham's life too. Now, let me just make some application really quick. Again, we're just going to read through the story. But here's three ways to avoid Abraham's mistakes here. Three ways. Number one, trust God to take care of you. You need to trust God to take care of you. Why did Abram leave Mamre, the oak, uh, under the oak tree where he and his family, why did he leave and go all the way to Gerar? It says in verse one that he left his home. I believe he was afraid, and we'll see that later in the text. Fear had motivated him to leave Canaan the first time back in chapter 12, and now it's fear again. So this just indicates to you and me that sometimes things scare us, and sometimes we do things and we're motivated by fear. Fear of not enough money in the bank, fear of, of, of a child that's sick or a, a loved one that's in the hospital. Fear, fear motivates us. And instead of trusting the Lord, we've run. And we need to understand that, that we need to trust the Lord. He will take care of us. Fear, again, had motivated him. And if you look at uh, back at verse 27 of chapter 19, this is interesting. I, I mentioned this earlier, but look at chapter 19, verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like a furnace. I believe that's why he left. He, he was afraid. Is this going to burn up the mountain and take my family? Instead of saying, Lord, what should I do? He, he just runs. It was fear that motivated him, he was not trusting God to take care of him. So when we fail to trust God to get us through trials, we're headed for disaster just like Abraham. Number two, telling lies always leads to sin. And, and here's the case in point. Abraham's fear causes him to tell a lie about his wife. And he, he justifies it all just thinking that, that if we do this, Sarah, if we work this out, then I'm not going to die. I won't die because this king is going to see you. You're a beautiful woman, and he's going to want you. And, and if I don't say you're my sister, he's going to kill me and then take you. I mean, he's not trusting the Lord again, and he's telling his lie. His fear of dying was greater than his fear of God. Proverbs 19.5, I, I love these little texts that I find. A false witness will not go unpunished, a lie. And he who speaks lies will not escape. The Bible has a lot to say about lies. Don't lie. Be honest in all the things you do. But Abram's lie, Abraham's lie here. He puts someone else's life in peril. It was King Abimelech. King Abimelech really is, he's a pretty good guy. When you look at his life, Abimelech here, he is the one that's His life is in danger now. Verse 3 says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman you've taken from this man's wife. Now, this is a warning from God. If you don't obey me, you're dead. So God gives him an obvious warning here. But I love the fact that God was also restraining the king. He was restraining the king at the, the same time which kind of leads me to my next point. So we have trust in God to take care of you. We have telling lies. And then the third one is rest in God's grace. For the believer, we need to rest in God's grace. Look at verse six. And God said to him in a dream, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. I also withheld from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So this is God working sovereignly to protect the integrity of the baby. God is going to get this child born through Sarah and Abraham. He's going to make it happen. He promised, and his promise is going to be fulfilled. He's not going to let Abraham mess this up. And so God, we see, working sovereignly in the background, but it's his grace. It's God's grace and his love and his devotion to this man, Abraham. It's insane. When you think about Abraham, and and he just just, uh, flubs along, he's clumsy in his faith, And yet God is sustaining him. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, I see myself doing the same thing, clumsy in my faith at times. And yet God is so faithful. And God shows his faithfulness here by by not allowing the king to touch Sarah. So the the point here is it it just brings great hope in that, that area. Knowing God will intervene when I sin. It's, it's just, it brings hope. There's, there, there will be a consequence for my sin, but there's also forgiveness. As I come to the Lord and I confess that sin to him, I, I get complete forgiveness in Christ. And there's such great hope and such great um, uh, stability in that with the Lord. Now, you willfully and deliberately sin, but instead of God punishing you, He forgives you. He shows you grace, just like the woman caught in the very act of adultery. I'm sure Jesus knew. He didn't have to see it. He knew it. He's the one that said, drop your rocks, and looks at her, and he forgives her and says, go and sin no more. It just shows the heart of God, his forgiveness and his grace. We need to understand that, and we need to rest in the grace of God. And Abraham's story, again, is filled with God's sovereignty and God working and directing and leading and helping this man of faith grow. But this illustration, a second time, helps us also to understand that God doesn't give up on us, that God's grace is greater than our sin, and that we can rest in his grace. Because for the child of God, even, you know, our sin, is unable to separate us. Look at this verse. You know it in Romans, or, or no, this is Proverbs. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. That's the wrong verse there. I, do I have a Romans eight thirty nine? That's the one I want. I don't have that. Well, I'll read it. Romans eight thirty nine. This is. I am persuaded that neither high nor bad, or principalities, powers, angels, it goes on and on, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. We need to understand that. Abe is not trusting God. Abe is telling lies. He's not doing what God asks him to do. And God, the whole time, is blessing him and leading him. Listen, that should give you great hope tonight. God loves you. And he's going to lead you and he's going to guide you just like he did this this man of faith. God's watching out for him. God's protecting his wife, Sarah. And in spite of all of that, notice my next point in verse 8, Abraham's excuses. Look at this. So Abimelech rose early in the morning. He called all his servants because after the dream, God threatened him and said, if you don't do this, you're a dead man. So he gets up early in the morning. I'd get up early too. Called his servants, told all the things in their hearing this is what God told me. This is what happened. We took this woman. You guys remember that lady we brought in and the men were all afraid. The whole household was afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom this great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not be done. What have you done to me? I can't believe you did this. Now, again, Abimelech's a pagan king. This is This is not a man of faith. He's a pagan. He's probably an idolatrous king as well. And Abraham's sin is disobedience and and disbelief here. He's he's not trusting the Lord. He's not walking with the Lord. He's sinning. He's not following God's way. He's not grown in his faith. So Abelma gets up really early in the morning and And he just goes after it. He wants to fix this right now. He knows he's under threat. He felt the conviction of God. He heard God's voice in that that, uh, dream. Then Abimelech said, verse 10 to Abraham, what have you done or what did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account of my wife. That's his wimpy excuse. That, that you're just a bunch of pagans and, and you wouldn't really understand. And So I had to take matters into my own hands. We've heard that before, haven't we? Taking matters in his own hands. And I, I didn't want to die. That's basically what he's saying there. He's making excuses instead of just admitting his sin. So, so here's another place where I'm going to depart from the Scripture real quick and throw these things at us so we can learn. How do we deal with our sin? How should a Christian deal with her sin? Number one, identify your sin completely. Don't don't hide from it. Just identify it. Just admit it right away. Don't candy coat it. See it as ugly. See it as sin. See it as disobedience. Number two, don't just say, I just lied. You need to confess that you disobeyed the word of God. Christian, that's what you need to confess. God's law is very clear. Thou shalt not lie. And so we need to admit that we have transgressed the law of God. And just, not just say, well, I just told a little lie. We need to see and identify our sin completely. We Don't just say I lied." Don't just say I lusted. The next one is really interesting. Don't, don't just say you lusted. Confess that you chose willfully to look at that. That you looked at that and that you offended God in that way. You have to understand that, that when you're lusting after someone else, that is against God's law. So don't excuse that. Don't just say, oh, I just lusted. And then number four here, don't just say I took something that didn't belong to me. I just stole something. It's no big deal. You have to confess that you're a thief, God, I'm a thief. I can't believe I did that. That I, I robbed somebody else. I took something that wasn't mine. And then number five, don't just say I gossiped. Because you really did assault someone's character behind their back. Don't just say, oh, it's just a little gossip, a little, you know, a little magazine talk. Confess that you're guilty, that you tore someone down instead of building them up. See how important it is to see sin? for what it really is. And when you do that, so you can make that confession, you can go to the Lord and get that forgiveness that you so desperately need. In other words, don't soften sin. Don't make it easy. Don't soften it in your own life. That is what Abraham is doing in the story. Oh, it's just a pagan country. Because you're pagans, you wouldn't understand. Uh, I thought you guys were lawless. So we just made this little deal, this side deal, you know, that... It really is a half-truth. He actually is lying, but it's a half-truth that he's telling. It's so important for you, Christian, to identify your sin completely and don't just make excuses for it. Abe tries to cover up a lie. Notice what he says. This is kind of the technicalities of it because it really is his half-sister. But it, listen to what he says here in verse 12. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And then she became my wife. And it came to pass, verse 13, when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place wherever we go and say, say you're my brother. So I've convinced her to do this. I've, this is just a technical thing. She really is my sister. I, I'm not lying. That's not that big a deal. Really. It's a big deal to God. He just threatened Abimelech's life. It's a big deal to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It's a big deal. In verse 14, we see Abimelech's humble restoration here. And I, I love this. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and he gave them to Abraham. Remember when Abraham in chapter 12 he goes to all the way down to Egypt? He's running from the famine. He gets to Egypt. He lies, and then Pharaoh just dumps a whole bunch of booty on him. He gets all kinds of extra flocks and people and servants and he brings back, who did he bring back? Hagar, remember Hagar came back? That was a blessing, huh? And now he's, he's a liar he's, and God sovereignly, now God dumps a bunch of more stuff on the guy. Interesting, the king Abimelech took all these things and gave him servants and all this stuff and restored Sarah, his wife, to him and Abimelech said, see, my land, this is, I own all this land here. You can live wherever you want to live. Then to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. I wonder how he said that. I've given your brother, your husband, or whatever he is. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abimelech, he restores Everything back to him, and plus, he gives him a, a lot more. And Abraham is invited to settle wherever he wants to, and, and then the money, it's, it's kind of he didn't want to offend this woman, Sarah. So he gave money kind of a, like a dowry thing. Here, here, take this money and take Sarah. I sorry, Sarah, I didn't mean to offend you. You're, you're a beautiful woman. Here's this money. Go. And he's really, he's doing all he can to restore in this story here. And then in verse 17, we see Abram's prayer. Remember, God promised that Abram is a prophet and he's going to pray for him. So Abram prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. You just have to wonder what affliction they were under that not only Abimelech knew the judgment of God and heard his voice, but the whole house was under this affliction. They had something, something. They all knew it. They were all sick. There was a problem because of Abram's sin. But he prays and every all of his servants, he, they were healed they, and they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because Sarah, Abram's wife. Now, This story just, there's so much wonder in it in that God is so faithful. God is sovereignly working in the life of this clumsy Christian, this clumsy believer, this clumsy man of faith that God is going to make from him this mighty, mighty, mighty nation. It's, It's a phenomenal story when you think about it. We can learn much from his mistakes. We can learn much from this story. But whenever I read this, I'm just amazed at God's long-suffering, at God's, long suffering, at God's uh, plan, at God's way to bring it all to pass. He's working sovereignly in the background. So Christian, here's the application of the story. When you battle with sin, the, the real question is, Who's winning the battle? You or your sin? Your sin's going to win the battle if you lie. Your sin's going to win the battle unless you deal with it effectively. And even though you are, you make mistakes like, like we all do as Christians, God is sovereign. And just resting in the grace of God and allowing the Lord to work and letting, letting God restore us by confessing our sin if, like it says in the scripture, and, and you've heard me say it many times, First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the, the God we know. That's the Lord that, that loves us. And it's, he's the same God that we see in Jesus in John 8, forgiving that woman, His same God that we see working sovereignly in Genesis chapter 20 with a clumsy Christian. We can learn a lot from this man, and I hope that that you're learning that. But the message tonight, and I've tied several themes together in the study, but the message tonight is, is don't judge, don't prejudge, share Jesus with every creature. Love people, love people. Don't even say hate their sin, just love people. Let God deal with their sin. Drop the rocks, drop the rocks. Love people, and when you do that, you'll see some results. God will use you. When you look into the face of a lost person and you share the love of Jesus Christ, there'll be a a difference. A person will see your compassion. They'll hear the voice of the Lord and you call them to Christ. You call them to come to Christ. Lots we can learn from this man, Abraham. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this study this evening and I just ask God that by your holy spirit that you would help us to understand that all sin is forgivable that you sent your son to do that work to pay the penalty for my sin for our sin for individual sins and only by believing in Jesus Christ will we have forgiveness and the hope and the promise of eternal life with you. How we thank you and praise you. Lord, thank you for this, this uh, wonderful story. This historical narrative, Lord, of, of this man, Abraham. And, and Lord, he's taught us much. We're learning much, and as we continue to study his life in the next few weeks, I, I just pray we, as we see him growing in faith and trusting you more, Lord, I, I pray that each one of us would say the same thing, that we're growing in faith and trusting you more. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.